I was um, thinking uh, this week, I wonder if you've ever had uh, someone try to help you with a problem that you didn't think you had. Uh, I remember when we moved to South Africa, uh, I was into mountain bike riding back then, and uh, there was a guy at the church that we were part of that really thought of himself as a great mountain bike rider, and so he was a little older than me, and uh, I said, sure, let's go mountain bike riding, and when we went to go mountain bike riding, he spent like the first, I mean, it must have been 45 minutes trying to teach me how to pedal, and like he had this whole plan out to try to teach me how to bike ride, and I'm like, you know, I'm from America, but we have bikes over there. <laughs> like, like, I know where to sit. That's the seat, and I was, I, it was just, he was so intense. I was trying to be respectful, but he was, thought I had problems, I suppose, riding a bike. Uh, this week, when we went to buy our uh, tickets for the plane, um, we did something we haven't done before. We usually just go over um, kayak.com or uh, Cheapo Air, but Marta decided to uh, talk to an agent, so she called uh, ASAP Tickets, and oh, wow, we won't do it that way again. That, that guy spent about two hours on the phone with her for who knows what, but most of the time he was trying to sell her insurance for our flight, and uh I think she must have said no five or six times, and, and he's like, wait, I'll be right back. I think I can get a better deal. And um, we, we, just, we just didn't want to buy insurance from him for that flight, but by the end of two hours, um, we ended up buying insurance for our flight because <laughs> it was two hours. I wasn't going to make Marta get off and <laughs> waste all that time. <laughs> so I was like, okay. But yeah, he really wanted, thought that was a problem. We remember uh, when we first moved here, there was some water in our bathroom that leaked, and we had somebody come to check it out, and they basically uh, they basically acted like the water that it was just a hardly a little bit of water, but it it was like the black death to them. They're like we're it, it felt like they were saying we're basically gonna have to rebuild your house because a little bit of water leaked. So uh, yeah, you've probably had somebody try to help you with a problem you didn't didn't think you have. Maybe you've had someone intensely talk to you about something and you realize uh, later, oh, they, they think you have a problem with that. Like at first, you just think they're um, going on and on and they're worked up about something and you're wondering, why are they talking to me about this? And then it kind of clicks in the middle. Oh, oh, they, they, they actually think I have a problem with this. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been looking at what the Bible teaches about communication, and I don't know if that's how it's felt to you a little. Uh, You keep coming back, so that's a good sign, but maybe you're thinking, I don't really have a problem with communication. I like the way I talk. I I always understand what I'm saying, and uh, I think I'm saying it in the right way. I'm doing fine. And maybe, you know, maybe, praise God, If you are doing fine, God does work in us and help us communicate, learn to communicate better. But you know, uh, if you look at James chapter 3, this does seem like a problem that many people have. So when we talk about problems with communication, I know we might think we're doing fine, but it definitely seems like this is a problem that a lot of people have. James begins James 3 by saying, not many of you should become teachers. And James loves teachers. Teachers are important, and they can make a 
super huge impact. And James actually says, I don't want many of you to become teachers. Why? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. So he's like, even though teaching is amazing and important, uh, it'd be better if many of you don't become teachers because we have lots of problems with the way we talk. Um, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, in fact, he's a perfect man or a complete man able to bridle his whole body. And so James is like, you don't have a problem with the way you talk. Well, good. That means you are spiritually mature. Uh, you're, you have self-control in every area because that's what it's going to require to be good at communication. Then he gives all kinds of illustrations of how powerful communication is. And in verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So he's describing the way we speak our, our tongues as very hard to control. So uh, uh, to me, at least, that's a challenge. Like if we think we have communication down and we're just amazing at it, we might want to look at, again. If James is willing to say not many of you should become teachers, if he, if he says, look, you're spiritually mature and controlled in every way if you control your speech, and if he says uh, no human being can tame the tongue, it's likely that we might have more of a problem with the way we speak than we, than we think. And I, I wonder if sometimes the reason we don't feel like we have much of a problem uh, with the way we communicate is because we're not really looking at what the Bible says about how God wants us to communicate. So if you go into a class of first graders and you ask them to draw something, most of them are going to think they're pretty good artists. And they'll even bring it home to their mom, and it's like an embarrassing piece of art, really. they like, what is that? You're, they're try, you're trying to guess what it is. You have no idea what it is. But they want you to put that piece of art up on the refrigerator because they think it is so amazing. And that is because they don't have much to compare it to. And so sometimes we think we're like first graders when it comes to the way we communicate. We really think we're good at communicating but it's because we're not really comparing the way we speak to what the Bible actually has to say. You can imagine a a world where everybody's born blind and someone comes in who can see. And he's like, guys, don't you see what the problem is? And they're like, no, literally, we we don't see. It It seems fine to us. We can be so used to something that doesn't work the way it should that when someone asks us about it, we don't even know what they're talking about. Like, what's the problem? Maybe you've had that experience where you've um, where you've been in a family or around some folks that yell all the time, and you're like, Whoa. I remember when I was young. So my family was not a yelling family, and we would go over to I'd go over to people's houses for uh, for like um, a sleepover or something, and just desperately want to come home because I couldn't believe like the way that people would speak to each other. And yet my friends were like, this is, this, is, uh, this is normal. A long time ago, we, uh, when I was younger, we watched more TV. And then when we first got married, after a while, we just stopped. We didn't have the television for, for a long time. And then when we went on a vacation, I remember thinking, okay, this will be fun. We get to watch TV again. And I turned on the television to start watching some shows. And I'm like, no way. How did I ever watch this kind of stuff? It's so gross and bad. And it was just that I had gotten used to watching things 
and didn't realize until I was away from it for a little while that like, wow, that is, that's evil. There's no way that we turned it off uh, very quick. Um, I remember uh, when we um, lived in South Africa, we uh, took a trip to Malawi on a bus and we got on that bus and it's, that's like a, a two day trip and um, it's supposed to be a nice bus, but we got on and they're like, well, you know, the bathroom doesn't work. There's a bathroom back there, but the bathroom doesn't work. So I was like, okay, wow. And then uh, they come in, it's like nine o'clock in the morning and they're like, bring a little bag of fried chicken with a couple pieces of chicken and they're like, here's your meal for the trip. At nine in the morning, here's your fried chicken. And I mean, it was a, it was a terrible, it just everything about it was no service. It was terrible trip. And I was looking around, and everybody was totally happy. They just, they just, no, nobody was complaining. They just thought this is, this is great. Everybody's smiling. You know, at, in the middle of the night, it's like dark on the, on the um, bus, and everybody around is talking as loud as, as, uh, as possible, because that's a difference in culture. In South Africa, in African culture, the um, s- the person who's awake has the power. So the person who's sleeping. You show them no respect. <laughs> so you're like, you're looking around like, you know, that's dark and it's night and everybody's, but nobody, they're all so happy. And I realized, wow, you know, they, many of these people we were driving with, this was a nice trip to them. They had nothing to compare it with. Like the time that I went up to, uh, somehow I got bumped up when I was younger to first class and I wish I never had on an airplane. I'm like, goodness, this is what's going on up here. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know it really was that much nicer. I, I, I wish I had never known. Um, but if we hold up our speech to what God says speech is supposed to be, we can start seeing problems that we may not have seen before. Uh, we're having an Aspire class, and that means like a class about how to be a leader or uh, specifically how to counsel this year and asking the guys to do personal projects. So like, look at your life and think about something you can work on. And I don't know if any of the men are gonna put down communication, but really almost any problem you work on has some connection back to communication. So if somebody's discontent, it's gonna show up in the way they speak and even the way they speak is going to impact their level of contentment. If somebody's lonely, uh, if somebody's dissatisfied in marriage, if somebody's having troubles in parenting, it's all going to come back to uh, communication, or at least communication is going to play a big part in that. So how's that for motivation for thinking about the way we speak? And you know, if you don't think you personally have a problem with the way you communicate, many other people do. Many other people do. And so it's worth thinking about. If you're a parent, I don't, so much of Marta's work with the little ones is teaching them how to communicate all day long. Uh, If you're a friend, the way you communicate is gonna be important, but also you want to know how to help others when it comes to the way they communicate. James says it's like a uh, steering wheel, but he doesn't say steering wheel, but we'll say that, we'll update the metaphor. It's like a steering wheel, the way you speak. So it's gonna take your life somewhere. I often think that when I see a young couple getting married, I'm like, You know, the way you talk to each other on an everyday basis, 10 years from now, your marriage is going to be one place or another, and so much of it's going to have to do, not with the big things, but just your everyday communication. 
And so this is, whether or not like it feels like this pressing issue in your life, it is <laughs> worth thinking about for a lot of reasons. And the way we've begun thinking about communication is by working our way through this book, War of Words, and he starts off his book with his own way of helping us see why this issue is worth thinking about and getting right. And it's not the way we usually would. That's part of what I love about this book, because if somebody were trying to motivate us to work on communication, we, how would we normally expect them to motivate us? Uh, usually they would give all kinds of practical reasons, but he's starting bigger picture, and he's saying, we need to work on the way we communicate because, first of all, if we look back to creation, there is a right and wrong way to communicate. So this is not merely about how do we speak better or how do we be more effective. This is about right or wrong, uh, which is obvious for us as Christians, but it's not obvious in the world. If you think about an unbeliever's worldview, who in the world is to say how you communicate? You know, It's all just advice and... I guess, how better to manipulate others. But we know there's a creator. And so if I go into a shop, I get a bunch of wood, I buy the wood, I make something. Who does that belong to when I leave that shop? It belongs to me. I made it, and I get to do with it what I want. God created us, and he designed this ability to communicate, and he designed it for a purpose. And so I know we're tempted to think we own things, that's been our problem really since the Garden of Eden. We wanted to be owners of this world, and yet God has given us things to use for a purpose. We're not owners. Everything we have is a gift, even the ability to speak, and there's an accountability for how we speak. There's right and wrong, and there's an accountability. Actually, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, this is a, a really powerful verse. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So how you speak is gonna reveal who you are on judgment day. Another reason it's important though, there's right and wrong. That's one big reason. Another reason it's important because we, is, is because if we look back at what God designed communication to do, what does it do for good? What does it do for bad? One of the main things we saw it does is interpret. When you speak, it's, it's you're interpreting. So there's all these facts out there. There's these things that are happening, and we interpret those facts, and we live on the basis of those interpretations. And remember, this is when he looked at the fall. So he looked at creation first, then he looked at the fall, and he said that's how Satan used communication in the garden to provide another interpretation of the way we, of the facts. And so this is part of what makes the way you communicate so important because you, as you speak, are interpreting the world. And that interpretation influences how you think about the world. It influences what you do. It influences how other people think, what they do. And it's either true or false. And it's gonna have all kinds of consequences. So parents, again, are doing this all the time for their children. We were talking about how Vanessa likes to cry before she goes to, to sleep. Um, when Marta puts her down, she'll be happy the whole way up. Once she gets put in her little place to sleep and Marta leaves, she just starts wailing. And so Marta has all kinds of strategies to try to help her learn not to cry. But one of those, and see if I get it right, Marta can help me, 
Um, one of those is uh, Vanessa likes the light on. And uh, Marta has explained to her that if she cries, she's going to turn the light off. And so when Vanessa starts to cry, Marta explains that the light is going to go off, and sometimes Vanessa will start sort of yelling at Marta, no, no, Marta, no. And what does she say exactly, honey? And then you say, yeah. So what Marta's doing there is in helping Vanessa have an accurate interpretation of what's going on, because Vanessa's saying, Mommy, you're doing this to me. And Marta's saying, no, Vanessa, what you need to understand is that your choices have consequences. And so your crying is actually what is turning this light off. Your crying is what's causing this. And so what she's doing through her speech is in helping Vanessa have an, learn to have an accurate interpretation of the world. And she has to do that about two billion times. We do this for our children. We're doing this for, for, for each other all the time. Someone calls you about something difficult that happened at work, and you say, you know what? I can't believe that happened to you. You don't deserve it. You need to take matters into your own hands. That boss can't treat you that way. You need to show whom, who's who. What are you doing? At that point, you're interpreting for your friend, and you're providing a grid for someone to think about what's happening. You're looking at the facts, and you're saying, this is how you should interpret the facts. Or you could say, maybe, you know what, that's hard. Uh, that's really hard. But God's working all things together for good. We know that. And you're an instrument of grace in his hands. So at that moment, what are you doing? You're providing another interpretation for your friend. So communication is important because as we communicate, one of the primary things we're doing is interpreting the world either in a true way or in, in a false way. We do that for our kids. We do that for, for our others. We do that for ourselves. So... I remember going biking with one of my children, and he, that child was getting tired of biking and for a long time was talking about how I can't do this, I can't do this, it's getting the hills too hard, the hills too hard, and I could hear him saying this to himself over and over and over again, or saying this to themselves over and over and over again. And uh, what was that child doing? That child was in, interpreting for themselves. This is, this is not something that I can do. And that interpretation was having... Uh, consequences in that child's uh, attitude towards biking. Um, maybe a child, another child, or maybe you actually, is uh, you're interacting with someone and you're like, they don't like me. I can see from the way they're looking at me, they don't like me. You're talking to yourself, you're saying they don't like me, that's why they did this. What are you doing? You're interpreting. You're interpreting. That's an interpretation. You've looked at the, the behavior and you've decided this is what the behavior means, and you're telling yourself this is how it is, and that has consequences. That you feel like I'm just responding to the facts, but you're actually responding to your interpretation of the facts. Uh, you're, interpreting, you're interpreting. This is why, one reason why communication is important, because if you, have, if you give yourself the wrong interpretation, it's hard to get the wrong, right answer when you're when you're asking the wrong questions, and it's hard to move forward in the right direction if you're giving yourself the wrong or others the wrong interpretation. Communication matters because we're part of something bigger than our lives here right now. And this is a third reason he's like, hey, we got to think about this. 
If we look back to the Bible, we know the world has a story. There's a beginning, there's an end. There's something going on. And if we step back and try to locate ourselves in that story, of course, we're smaller than the world tells us we are. We're not the center of the story. But at the same time, we're part of something bigger than we imagine. So it's kind of funny how the world works it. They tell you the big story is really small. There's nothing happening. But the little story, you're huge. When it's actually kind of flipped. You're not that important, but the story that you're part of is super, super important. It's super, super huge. Your end, Trip, he goes on to talk about this whole big invisible war that's going on and reminds us you have an enemy, God has an enemy, God's doing something marvelous for his people to bring himself glory through the church, and the way we talk either furthers the enemy's agenda or God's agenda. Those are three reasons. And then finally, this was last week, the way we communicate matters because the way we speak to one another is connected to our relationship to God. And so I know when I'm talking to my child at home, it feels like just me and my child. But it's not just me and my child. It's me, my child, and God. So the way I talk to people is not just a horizontal issue. It's a vertical issue. And so Tripp talks about these two drawers, like the love God drawer and the love other drawer. And we tend to put communication in the love other drawer. Like that's a problem that has to do with the way we relate to others. But he showed us that it really belongs in both drawers. So if you record my conversations throughout the week, my everyday talk, that everyday talk is connected to what I actually believe about God. So, you know, when you come to church, you probably, everybody to be a member here, there's a statement of faith. You sign that statement of faith. Great. I ask you what you believe. Maybe you'll say all the right things. But then I say, okay, let me follow you for a week and let me listen to the way you talk on a regular basis and see what you actually believe. Because the way you talk on an everyday basis reveals what you actually, what you actually believe. And this is such an important connection, and I can show you a couple examples from the book of James. So imagine someone um, uses words to flatter a rich person and speak down to a poor person. Um, In Africa, we saw this. It was amazing how quickly the tone of voice could change. Like I was a, somebody backed into me one time when we were at a mall, he backed into me and when he talked to me, his voice sounded a certain way. And then there was somebody, a security guard who came to help us. The moment he turned to talk to, it was just so stark. It was like, hi, how are you doing? And then he'd talk to the security guard with such a condescending, like a whole different tone of voice. Then hi, how are you doing? Then talk to this guy over here with this whole different tone of voice. Um, in James, what you had is you have a group of poor people who are having church and they're being persecuted and rich people are actually taking them to court sometimes and we don't even, just doing terrible things. They're not living where they're from, scary. And one day they're having church and this rich guy comes in and this poor guy comes in. And the temptation then is to speak so nicely to the rich guy because this is like your chance. I don't know if we appreciate this in America sometimes, but like when a poor guy is with a rich guy, that is such a temptation because it's like, if I, if, if I get to know this guy, I might be able to get out of this situation. 
And James is like, no, he didn't have any time for that. <laughs> He's like, they're speaking nicely to the poor guy, a rich guy speaking down to the poor guy. He didn't have any time for that because he's like, this is connected to what you believe. It's connect- Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him, but you've dishonored the poor man. And so he's saying, man, you guys, the way you're talking here, flattering the rich guy, talking down to the poor guy, that's not just horizontal. That's, that shows me what you actually believe. You can imagine someone using their words to speak down on others. So they're um, lying about people to make them look bad, slandering them, um, just sort of uh, speaking words that are intended to hurt. James says, okay, you know what that is? That's, that's connected to what you believe. James 4, 11, and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so basically he's saying, you know, this speaking down on people, what it's showing that you really believe, it's showing that you really believe you're the judge of the universe. That you're the one who gets to be everybody's, everybody's judge and not God. Or you can imagine someone using words to boast about themselves and get their, and their ability to get stuff done. And James 4, 13 through 15, he's like, you know what? You're telling me what you believe. You're telling me you don't actually believe uh, life is out of your control and in God's hands. You're acting like you have more power, speaking like you have more power than is real. So how you speak matters because it reveals what you actually believe. And James makes that connection and Probably he makes those connections because Jesus does. Um, in um, Matthew 6, Jesus talks about someone who is using their words to say how worried they are about the future. And they're just worried about what they're going to eat. They're going to worry about what they're going to drink. And they're just kind of talking worries. And Jesus says, you know what? Matthew 6, 31 to 34, you're not believing that God's your father. You're not believing that God knows what you need. You're not believing that God will keep his promises and give you what you need to do as well. That's what worry, that's like your confession of faith when you worry. (laughs) When you worry out loud to others and speak, you're saying, I don't believe God's my father. I don't believe he's good. I don't believe that he's able to take care of me. And we have to make that connection. What we say is connected to what we believe. It is, it is. You remember that, uh, remember that story about the guy who's walking across uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and uh, he walks across, the whole crowd's watching, and he comes back, and then he takes a, a wheelbarrow across or something like that. You never start illustrations that you haven't thought about in a while, because you never know if you're going to get to the end of them, but um, he takes a wheelbarrow across... And uh, he comes back, and then he asks the crowd, like, how many of you actually believe, how many of you believe that I could put somebody in this wheelbarrow and take them across? And the whole crowd raises their hand or something like that. And then he says, okay, who wants to do it? And nobody raises their hand. And, of course, you know, that's revealing what they actually, uh, actually believe. And the way we talk reveals what we actually believe. We can say oh, we believe there's only one judge, but when we're judging others, we're saying, no, we don't. 
We can say, oh, we believe God takes care of us, but when we worry and speak worries, we're saying, no, we don't. We can say, ah, we, we, don't, we think that um, everybody's equal, but when we treat a poor man differently than we treat a, a rich man, then we're saying, uh, no, we don't. And that means, of course, if we're going to work on becoming people who communicate the way God wants us to communicate, we have to go back and look at what we actually believe about God, which is where he starts in chapter 5. And, and one thing I love about this book is that he's not only teaching us how to communicate, he's also teaching us how to disciple. And I hope you guys are picking this up. He's teaching us how to parent. He's teaching us how to counsel. So he's like, you have this issue, communication. You have a problem. Okay, let's talk about what you believe. I can't tell you how hard it is for people to make that connection when they come in for counseling, but it's vital. It's vital. When you say um, you're having a problem and then you're like, let's talk about what you believe, almost immediately everybody's like, no, I already know that. Let's talk about the actual problem. I think I said this on Sunday, but I'm like, no, you, that, you are proving that you don't know that. That's why we have to talk about what you believe. And until you can figure out that, then I can give you all the practical advice in the world, and it's not going to be helpful. We have to talk about what you believe, because you're telling me you don't know that through the problems that you're having, through the way that you're speaking. So you have this issue, communication, okay? Let's talk about what you believe, and we have to help each other apply theology to life. And I know you're not necessarily reading along, but in chapter 5 of War of Words, Tripp talks about one of the absolute most basic truths we believe about God, and that is the fact that we believe God is God and that we are not. And I know that sounds so simple, um, but a lot of our communication problems come down to not really believing that. If we're going to speak in a way that honors God and is good for others, we have to make sure we get this right. And even as we teach our children how to communicate, it's like, okay, you want to know how to communicate? Let's start with who is God here and what that means. And so we're going to talk a little this evening about the sovereignty of God and the way you communicate. The sovereignty of God really means that God is God. He's in charge. And if you want to understand the sovereignty of God, what it means that God gets to be to God, there are lots of different passages you could go to. But one of the passages that you would want to study is Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 4, which is this story about King Nebuchadnezzar who has some dreams, and uh, Daniel interprets them, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really learn from the interpretation and becomes really proud, and God humbles him, makes him act like an animal for seven years until he finally allows his reason to return to him. And when he does, Nebuchadnezzar raises his eyes to heaven, and listen to what he says in Daniel 4, 34 and 35. He says, I bless the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none of him can, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Which is a beautiful summary from a pagan king of what it means, what we mean when we say God is sovereign. First of all, we're saying God is king. He says, I bless the Most High. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And dominion means authority or right to rule. So he's saying God has the ultimate authority, the ultimate right to rule 
in this universe. He owns the world. He can do with the world anything he wants, and he is. The Bible tells us God's a king who is presently ruling over everything and everyone in this universe. Ephesians 1.11 says that we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, which means we may not understand what he's doing, but he is doing what he wants to do. He has a plan, and right now he's ruling over this universe down to the smallest detail to accomplish that plan. In the words of Nebuchadnezzar, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and he wants us to know it. He wants us to acknowledge it, the fact that he's sovereign king, and that's why he did what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted him to know there's only one king in the universe, and uh, that's actually a really important truth for understanding how to communicate. Uh, we have to connect the dots. There's only one king in the universe, and it's not you. And you have to think about what that means for the way you speak on an everyday basis. Paul Tripp puts it like this. A life of godly communication is rooted in a personal recognition of the sovereignty of God. Let me put it this way. Only when I submit to the rule of God, who has a perfect plan and is in complete control, will I begin to live and speak as he has purposed. Let me say that again. A life of godly communication is rooted in a personal recognition of the sovereignty of God. Only when I submit to the rule of God, who has a perfect plan and is in complete control, will I begin to live and speak as he has purposed. And we're going to think about why he says that. But again, do you see what's happening here? Because this is so important when you go to help people. Just to break it down. You need to think about the way you communicate because God has a plan for communication because of what communication does, because you're involved in a war, because how you communicate reveals what you believe about God. And as you think about the way you communicate, start here. Does the way you speak demonstrate that you believe God actually is God? Because a lot of communication problems are a result of not believing that. And you say, prove that to me. Well, what happens if I don't believe God is God and that he's in control? Well, I'm going to look to someone else as God. And the person I'm usually going to look to is myself. And how's that going to impact the way I communicate if I believe that I'm the one in charge of my life? I'm going to speak, or you're going to speak, according to your plan, for your control, and for your glory. So the person who believes he is God is speaking according to his own agenda, what I think is best. He is speaking to control a situation for his own control, and he's speaking for his own glory. That's, a, that's the person who believe, doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God. That's how he communicates. And maybe for a second, zone in on that word control, because we're thinking about sovereignty, and a lot of us, a lot of life, actually, is us trying to be in control. So we come out in this world, and it's a crazy world, you know? Um, and we love ourselves. And so we're afraid, or maybe, or we're driven for comfort, and we want to be in control. I think this is especially, it's a sin all around the world, but we as Americans, maybe because of tech, you know, the what's going on with technology, I can't figure it out quite yet, but we really seem to have an idol of control, like in a, you know, like really, <laughs> we want everything to know everything about the future and to make sure that we're really in control of what's happening. 
And of course, that's why people sometimes fantasize. You know, they love creating their own little world where they're the ones in control. They want to be God and they can't be God in the real world. And so they create this little world where they can be in control. And that desire for control is what motivates a lot of communication. James says, why do you quarrel and fight? Do you remember? It's because you have these passions, but what do your passions want? They want you to allow me to do what I want to do. (laughs) And so what do I do when you get in the way of me doing what I want to do? I try to control you through the way I speak. And if that doesn't work, somebody might act and do something. But whether it's actions or speech, both are us trying to control the situation for our good and for our glory. And that's what is motivating a lot of communication. And that's a problem for Christians, first of all, because that's us trying to be God, to be what we're not. And so if we're going to speak in a way that honors God, we have to go back and say at the very beginning, who is Lord of my life? (laughs) Like, do I believe God is God? Do I believe God is sovereign? And then I have to get more specific and try to connect the dots between the way that I communicate and what I believe it means for God to be God and in control. And Tripp helps us do that. This is kind of exciting. He looks at seven things God being sovereign um, means and the difference those truths should make on the way we talk. So let's spend just a little time working through this more specifically. When we talk about God's sovereignty, the first thing we're talking about is his unchallenged rule of the universe, his unchallenged rule of the universe. And we'll get practical in a second here, but This is a great quote. He says, God is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He has no peer. He not only is Lord over every ruler on the earth, but he's also Lord of the heavens. The entire universe operates according to his good pleasure. No one has taught God. No one gives him advice. No one can legitimately question him, and no one can stand in the way of his will. He sits on the throne of the universe, and he alone rules. And that's what we saw in Daniel 4, 34, and 35, right? Nobody can stop him from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. The sovereignty of God means that he has the complete, total, unforced, uninfluenced right to do with the things he's created exactly what he wants to do with them. The complete, total, unforced, uninfluenced right to do with the things he's created exactly what he wants to do with them. Jonathan Edwards says, the sovereignty of God supposes that he has a right to do with all his creatures whatever he wants. (laughs) I paraphrase, but that's how he puts it. And his right is absolute, and it's independent. So, you know, that's different than us. We have things that belong to us, and we can do, like, if I, I can throw my fork in the, in the trash, right? Um, so I have the right to do with, with my stuff what I want. But it's not absolute. Our right is not unlimited. We can do with our stuff what we want, provided we don't disobey the laws of the United States or the laws of God. And the reason we don't have an absolute right is because we're part of a community, so we're not independent. The government provides some things for us. God provides everything for us. So we can do what we want with things, but we have an accountability to those who allow us to have them or give them to us. But God's different because he's independent. Nobody nobody gives God anything that he needs. And so the sovereignty of God means that he has an absolute and unlimited and independent right to do with his creatures whatever he wants. As Tripp puts it, he's the ruler of the universe. 
and he has no real challengers. I remember there was a professor. This the sovereignty of God is sometimes difficult for some people to accept, um, but it's kind of like the starting place <laughs> because uh, either God's God or he's not. You got to kind of get that one right. I remember somebody was talking to this professor named John Gerstner, and uh, she was like, I was never closer to not being a Christian than when I heard somebody explaining the sovereignty of God. And he's like, you were never closer to actually being a Christian. <laughs> um, God is God. And, and what difference does that make for the way we communicate? First of all, it, it, it should make us humble. Like, I wake up, I belong to God. I don't have the right to just do whatever I want. I belong to God. Doubly, he created me and he saved me. And so I would imagine if you go to work and own a business, and, or if you go to work and you're a manager of a business or an employee at the business, the way you approach your work is a little different. Maybe not with like this new generation, but it should be. We understand that. You're not the owner of your day. You're not the owner of your day. As Tripp explains, the moments of your life are his moments. You should not claim them as your own. Every word I speak should acknowledge his control. My job is not to get what pleases me, to establish power or to seek control. My job is to submit to God's rule and to do his will. When it comes to communication, my job is to speak in a way that pleases the one who's ruling the very moment in which I'm now speaking. So it, it ups the responsibility because I belong to God, but it also brings the chill level. Like, you know, you can really chill. Because God, God is the one in charge, not you. So you can just, you know, chill out. It's not about, oh, you've got to freak out. i got to get everything back in control. God's in control of this moment. He's put you in this moment. Your job now is not to just fix everything. Your job is to use your words to honor, honor him. God's the unchallenged ruler of the universe. That's the first thing the sovereignty of God means. And that does, that does make a difference. I belong to God. My words belong to God. Second, though, when we talk about God's sovereignty, God, he's the ruler of the universe, and he's ruling for a purpose, for a good purpose. Sometimes when we talk about God's sovereignty, we use another word. Uh, we talk about God's providence. And so you might say, what's the difference between God's sovereignty and God's providence? You'll hear those words. John Piper wrote a whole book on providence, and he tries to explain the difference. He says, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do, and providence is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. Or you could say providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. And that's important. God's sovereignty, his rule, has a purpose, and it's a wise purpose, and it's a good purpose. And what is that purpose? It's his glory, and it's our good. And that's not just something we're wishing, you know. We have a promise about that. Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. And what do we mean by good? Not necessarily what we want in that moment, but what is ultimately good for us. And this is so fundamental. If you ever get a chance, um, catechisms are really helpful devotional tools. There's a, a catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, listen, they, they ask questions and they give answers. And they ask this really basic question. They say, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth? So that's a good question. Like when I say I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, what do am I saying that I actually believe about life and God? Here's what you're saying. Listen to this. So good. 
that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he'll provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he's almighty God and desires to do this because he's a faithful father. Which is awesome, right? Like when I say God's sovereign, what am I saying I believe? When I say just the basics, like I believe God, I believe in God the Father Almighty. What am I saying? I'm saying God's in charge and I can trust him because he's gonna give me what I need and he's gonna use whatever happens to me for my good and I know that he can do that. He has the power to do that because he's God. And I know that he will do that because he's my father. John Piper explains, there will be many enemies, there will be many adversaries and all kinds of miseries and distressions and opposition and seemingly pointless delays and breakdowns and all manner of futility. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors because of the sovereign love of God in Christ. Nothing will finally succeed against us. If you hear the call of God in the gospel of Christ, if you come to God loving him through Jesus Christ, if you trust God for the forgiveness of your sins because of the death of Christ, if you receive from him the free gift of righteousness by faith alone, then all things from the sweetest to the most severe and bitter and painful will work together for your good. God will be for you with all of his omnipotent wisdom and power. And if God is for you, no one can successfully be against you. And that should make a difference on the way we talk. How? How? Well, you know, I keep talking about complaining. But what are we doing when we complain? We're saying, I do not believe God works all things together for good. That's what we're saying. What are we doing when we get irritated at people who get in our way? In a lot of life, we're annoyed, like, oh, this is this is so annoying, this person's so annoying. And when we start talking like that, what are we really saying? We're, we're saying, I don't believe that God is a good God who allowed this person to be in my life. And I don't believe he has a good purpose for this purpose person in my life. And I think I know better than God. Envy, what's envy? What are we doing? A lot of times we're speaking envious words. What's envy? I don't believe God knows what I need. I don't believe that God has a good plan. What do we give thanks to the Lord for? Often we just give thanks for the things we can see are good, but what are we missing? Well, God is active in every moment of our lives and he brings all things into our lives for our redemptive good. So that doesn't mean that, you know, as Donovan told us a couple weeks ago, that there's not a place for lament as we talk to God, but it does mean we're, we, we need to, be, to work our way through it and make sure we lament in a way that is actually speaking truth. Third, let's keep pressing on what we mean when we say God is sovereign. God rules. God rules for our good. God rules over the specific details of our lives. And so we know we're small, and it's tempting to think God's not very involved in our life. And this is actually a feature of the modern world that's different than uh, the way it used to be, but perhaps because of Again, our use of technology, sometimes it's easy for us to imagine God is distant. Really interesting book about this called um, Bulwarks of Unbelief. But anyway, okay. but when we talk about God's sovereignty, we're saying 
That's not true. God is not distant. He's not just ruling over the big things and the important people. He's involved in the details of our lives. And I'm trying to remind myself of this on a daily basis. Like, even though we understand a lot of things about nature, God is still active behind all that. It's not like he just wound up this world and let it go. Like, he is actively involved in, in my life, in everything that's happening to us, and in the details of our lives. Listen to the way the Heidelberg Catechism talks about this. What do we believe when we say we believe God is sovereign? Well, they say, we believe God's sovereignty describes the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Are you sure, you know, is you sure about that? Well, you could read lots of different passages. Proverbs 16, 33. You're doing that Saturday morning men's thing then. This is what we're talking about there. But it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot seems pretty random, you know. However they did that, we could imagine rolling dice, the same kind of idea but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. He's even in charge of what people say. Many are the plans, in Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And we could go on and on, and we, we may not understand all of how that works out in everyday life, but it does work out. God is in charge of the specific details of our life. And what difference does that make on the way we communicate? Again, I'm going to say it like, because it's on my heart lately. Chill. It means, it means you can chill. Like, God is in control. Like, you, you don't, there's so much fearful talk and so much, like, trying to control situations through the way we talk. Like, yeah, you're, you're responsible, you need to be faithful, but you don't have to be God. So take that responsibility off your daily checklist. Like, let God be responsible for what God's responsible, and you be responsible for what you're responsible. Because if you're trying to do God's duties through your speech, you're going to break stuff. Like, God is able to be God, and you're able to be you, so don't get that mixed up. Like when you talk, let, let God be God. He is working in the specific details of life to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So chill out. <laughs> like like speak, speak in a way that acknowledges that. We, we just can ratchet down the intensity a little bit. Like God is God. We, we, he's going to get it done. He's, got, he's been like, ruling the universe for thousands of years now. So like, he's, he's getting everything exactly where he wants to go. This little situation is not going to stop the, his great plan for setting up Jesus as king and even accomplishing good in your life. So like, yeah, be faithful, do it, say what you need to say, but like, let God be God. Uh, fourth, fourth, what else does it mean? God rules over every aspect of our salvation. And this is a little controversial for people, but really practical. At the end of the day, how are we saved? It's because God saved us. 
Um, Tripp says, our salvation exists on the rock of his will. Even the first breath of our faith has been determined by him before the foundation of the world. Without his love placed upon us, we would be excluded from the citizenship of his people, separate from his covenant promises, without hope and without God in this world. And you can read Ephesians 1 um, and, and, uh, and just be amazed by the way it describes how salvation works. But at the end of the day, we'll fast forward. What that means is that anything good in me is because of the grace of God. And I, you and I, if, you're, if we're Christians, we have no reason to boast in ourselves, but every reason to boast in God. And that's why he designed salvation the way he did. And if every single spiritual good that's in us comes from God, how does that change the way we communicate? Well, one thing it should do is make us incredibly gracious people in the way we speak to others. Um, incredibly gracious and patient. And to recognize that like the goal of our words is the glory of God and the praise of God. So what drives our words at the end of the day is how, how can I honor this God who's given me every single good gift, uh, every single good gift that I have. Fifth, uh, the sovereignty of God means God rules over our circumstances for our sanctification. So God is at work in every circumstance to help me be more like Jesus. Think about that one. God is at work in every circumstance to help me be more like Jesus. So no circumstances outside of his control to help me become more like Jesus. And how does that impact the way we speak? Well, James tells us, James 1, 2 through 4 says, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever, um, when you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and he goes on, and you have to let endurance have its perfect work in you, that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But he's saying a trial comes into your life, knowing God's at work to help you be like Jesus changes the way you look at that trial. It's a reason for joy. And so, how would it change the way we speak if we believed every circumstance was part of God's plan to help us become more like Jesus? Um, if that lady hit me, hit us on the, on the way here, like she almost did, and I'm sitting on the side of the road and I'm not able to get here, or maybe I, it was, she was really close, so we, maybe I'd be in the hospital. Um, the way I speak in that moment should reflect that, yeah, I believe God... Is, has allowed this circumstance to come into my life to help me become more like Jesus. So me stressing out with M- Marta and be like, oh, the poor church, I'm not going to be there. There's all these people going to be there. It's, it's, it's. That's like, no, man. Hey, yeah, get call somebody, get it worked out. But like God has allowed this to happen to help me become more like Jesus. He's allowed it to happen to the church there to help them become more like Jesus. He's going to get that part done. In the, if you ever read the story of um, Israel coming out of Egypt, their time in the wilderness, like they grumble, and God takes grumbling super seriously. And I wonder if you ever just, you should take some time to think about why is grumbling such a big sin to God, especially for those of us who, who, who claim to be his people. It's not just like an annoying sin. It's really a theologically significant sin, grumbling. 
God rules over relationships for our sanctification as well. So not just circumstances, but people. And that's really good. That's really good. Um, you're in somehow, you're in a relationship that you can't biblically appropriate, you, you can't in a biblical way get out of. <laughs> you know, God's allowed you to be in this circumstance and in, involved in this relationship for a good purpose. That changes the way you talk about it. So if you're going around always talking about it as if it were only bad, you're lying to yourself all day long. And so no wonder you can't be content and no wonder you're not going to get anywhere good. Like, you're of course you're allowed to say to God, this is hard, this is difficult for me, please help me, all of those things. But don't start speaking to yourself all day long as if God weren't sovereign and that he wasn't able to use that relationship for, for your becoming like Christ. And so you need to speak the truth to yourself. God, you have allowed me to be in this relationship and in this difficult period right now with this person because you have something to teach me and you have a way that you must want me to become more like Christ and that's what I want more than anything else. That's what I want even more than being comfortable or at least that's what I want to want even more than being comfortable. And so I'm gonna be honest with you about how hard this is but I'm also gonna thank you because I know you love me and you know me better than I know me, and you're using this for my good. And then finally, the sovereignty of God means God rules over all things for his glory, and that makes all things matter. Every single thing God is somehow in his wisdom going to use to bring himself glory. Uh, John Piper, I love how he puts it here. He says, when we look at everything through the lens of God's providence, everything is significant. Everything is meaningful. Nothing is random. Nothing is pointless. Nothing is meaningless. Everything, absolutely everything, is from God and through God and to God. Therefore, the Bible says, to him be glory forever. In other words, everything has its origin in the absolute existence and wisdom and goodness of God, and everything's guided through the infinite wisdom of God, and everything's moving toward the greatest possible goal imaginable, namely the fullest display of the panorama of God's perfections, which we call the glory of God. Everything in some way fits into this infinitely wise plan, Nothing is meaningless. Every thread in the tapestry of reality is being woven by God into a depiction of the glory of God. Some threads in this tapestry are radiant in and of themselves with bright significance. Other threads in themselves are dark with mysterious twists and textures and shades of bloody crimson. Sometimes God gives us glimpses of the final depiction of his beauty in all things and it just takes our breath away. But other times our vision is limited to the underside of the tapestry with its inexplicable tangles and textures and colors. At those times when providence and sovereignty seems most confusing, we must open our Bibles, listen to the interpretations of God, and direct our hearts to the strong affirmations that God has given us with Christ at the center, that he's wise, he's good, he's just, and he's at work in and through all things. Nothing is meaningless, nothing is random, nothing, not the greatest evils, not the greatest cruelties. And how does that affect our communication? Well, every word we speak should match up with this reality, that he is, he's accomplishing and bringing himself glory through everything that happens. I've told you uh, maybe recently about my friend who died uh, just a couple weeks ago. And um, he died, he was about 50 years old and got leukemia um, two years ago or so. 
but he had grabbed hold of God's sovereignty. So he was a um, he was a uh, had a business selling poinsettias, actually. <laughs> yeah, so a big a big business like that. Um, but he had really grabbed hold of God's sovereignty. And before he died, I was listening to the funeral. His son was talking about him, and he must have been coming back while he still had a little bit of power left, but he knew he was going to die. He was coming back from wherever the hospital they had been in, and his son was in charge of uh, helping him make phone calls. And his son said he made 70 phone calls on the, on the ride, uh, ride back, or maybe it was within the couple days. And uh, on those phone calls, he, he would tell people either, um, I'll see you later, or he would tell them uh, goodbye. And um, he, was, he was pleading with the ones he said goodbye to that, please, I want to see you again. <laughs> Um, and so he was sharing the gospel with them, but he knew uh, they weren't Christians, and so this would be uh, the last time that he would see them unless they repented. And he said his, after, the, after he would say goodbye, his son said after he would say goodbye to his friends like that, his dad was just weeping. Um, another time, uh, he, he was in uh, just a lot of pain and um, not able to sleep, and just uh, his wife saw him um, in the middle of the night, and she came and said, uh, um, honey, what are you thinking? You know, what, what are you thinking? And he said, oh, uh, nothing profound. Um, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And uh, he was not a pastor, but he knew uh, God was God, and sovereign, and he was not, and that truth changed the way that he spoke, and the impact it had on his family was profound, and uh, it was beautiful, beautiful, incredibly powerful, Uh, and it needs to change the way we speak as well, and so we should look at how we communicate because it matters, and uh, because it reveals whether or not we really believe God is God, and so we should ask ourselves, if somebody recorded our conversations for a week, uh, who would, how, how would the way we talk, what would it reveal about who we actually believe is in charge and who we actually worship as God? Um, how do you uh, typically respond when your plans are thwarted? That reveals who you believe is God. Um, In what ways is your communication an attempt to take control? That reveals who you think is God. Um, How do you respond when God sends suffering or disappointment your way? That will reveal what you believe about the sovereignty of God. Um, Do your words reveal that you are resting in God's control or wrestling, wrestling with it? Well, it's neat. It's, it's a joy to be a Christian and to have uh, the Word of God and, um, yeah, to be able to look at practical problems and realize, oh, man, the Bible really has something to say that's much more profound than just try harder or be nicer, um, but that really goes to the heart.